have you considered the side effects of falling more and more in love with Christ? It not only draws you closer to Him, it makes you want to be like Him. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah sheds light on this truth from 1 John in his series, Living in the Light. If your Christian walk has slowed to a crawl, get ready to pick up the pace as David shares his message, When We Shall Be Like Him. Well, this is one of the great uh, promise passages in the Bible. It helps us understand uh, where we're headed and should give us a sense of great excitement. The Bible says, when we get to heaven, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. And uh, that will be the ultimate moment of holiness for all of us who have walked in this world of uh, iniquity and determined to live holy lives only to realize we're incapable of it in our own strength. Ladies and gentlemen, one day we're going to go be with Jesus. And the Bible says, when we see him, we shall see him and we shall be like him. That's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you just joined us, we're studying the book of 1 John. We're going to finish that up um, this Thursday. And then on Friday, we'll begin our special programming in preparation for Christmas. I sure hope you'll Stay with us for the whole month. This is a great time, and uh, we love the month of December. During this month, we're presenting to those of you who will help us with the year-end gift a very beautiful leather devotional called Every Day with Jesus. This beautiful leather devotional takes you into every single day of the new year, 365 devotional readings, one for every day. It's a perennial journal, so the The year is not in the journal, just the month and the date. That means you can share it when you're done with someone else, and uh, you can come back and use it again some year in the future. And, uh, well, I just want to tell you what a beautiful beautiful product this is and how excited we are about sending it to you. Uh, These are uh, being ordered even now by people who just know about it, and they want to get a head start on it. You be among the first to order yours. And if you want to know about how you can order a bundle of these so you can give them to others, I want to direct you to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. Once again, when you send a gift of any size to help us in our year-end financial drive here at Turning Point, we'll send you this devotional if you just ask for it. Send your gift and say, please send me the devotional. Well, Let's get started with this incredible lesson. What we will be like when we will be like him. 1 John chapter 3. You know, the definition of a preacher is that he is a proclaimer of good news. And the Bible is the text of every good preacher because the Bible is the good news. But there are portions of the Bible when you read it, you wonder when am I going to get to the good news? And perhaps you have come to church on occasion and wondered, did the preacher forget that he's supposed to be giving us the good news? Well, today I have the happy assignment of giving you the good news. It's news so great and so good that it's almost impossible for me to wait to Sunday to give you the good news. I feel like I should run out on the street and start preaching on the corner to make sure everybody hears this good news. And you know what the good news is? The good news is real simple. God loves you. That's the good news. 
God loves you. Let's put it personally. Let's all say together out loud that God loves me. God loves me. I always like to watch the sign language because obviously when you're trying to convey something in sign language, you want to make it relevant to the concept. And the sign language for love is like you're putting your arms around yourself. And the good news of the Bible is that God has put his arms around us and that he has not only touched us through what he has done in the past, he continues to touch us by what he does in the present and he has saved the very best for the future. This is not news that gets good at the beginning and then deteriorates into bad news. This is good news that gets gooder and gooder as it goes along. And we begin in the third chapter in the first verse with God's provision for us in the past. This good news begins back before we were ever born. Back before we ever understood any truth at all. And John says in 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 and the beginning of verse 2. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. John begins this paragraph with an outburst of astonishment because of God's love. The phrase that he uses is so much more colorful in the language of the New Testament. What he says is this, when he says what manner of love, he is saying... Of what country is this love? In other words, the love of the Father is so unearthly and so foreign to the world in which we live that John wonders from what country it might have come. You could translate verse 1 like this. Behold what peculiar, out of this world kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Until Jesus Christ, no one ever heard of agape love. Love in the Greek culture was what it is in so many of our cultures today. You do something for someone and they do something back. You keep score on one another. But agape love was love that gave itself with nothing expected in return. And John, when he begins to write about this, says, Beloved ones, what out of the world kind of love God has given to us that we should be called the children of God. So overwhelming is this love that God actually calls us now his children. And we actually are his children. If you're a Christian today, you are a child of God. We have become so united and so wonderfully related with our Father that the world views our Father and us in the same way. John goes on to say here, he says, you know, the world doesn't like you because you're the child of God. But don't feel upset about that. They didn't like God either. (laughs) Like father, like son. And there's another passage in the Bible that says, if everybody speaks well of you, you better ask yourself this question. Am I really representing the family? Because God isn't loved by the world. God is hated by the world. You know how I know that? They took some nails and they hung his son on a Roman cross until he died. Because they thought that by doing that, They could shut him down. And all they did 
was explode his message of love until it became the one central message of all of history. God loves us, and we are his children. And it says here, now are we the children of God. And I want you, if you underline your Bible, just circle that little word now. Now are we the children of God. It's the most important word in this phrase. This is an important word because it conveys an important truth. We are the children of God now. Say that out loud. We are the children of God now. God has bestowed his love upon you so that when you believe in what he did for you on the cross, you become his child and you are his child and you now have eternal life. Now that's pretty good, isn't it? I could stop right there and I'd be okay. But it gets better. Not only does God have a provision for you in the past, but he has a plan for you in the future. I want you to notice verse 2. It says here, we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, I'll tell you what, it's good news to find out that you're in God's family. But when you go beyond that and say, you're not only in God's family, but one day you're going to be just like his son, Jesus Christ. One of these days, we're going to be just like him. I didn't make that up. That isn't just some doctrine that I found in a dusty old book. That's the word of God. We are going to be like Jesus. Now, let's break this out. Let's unpack this verse and notice that there's one thing in this verse we can't know about, and there's three things that we can absolutely surely know about. Notice it says, it has not yet been revealed to us what we shall be. Now, in the first verse, John says that the world does not know us, and the fact of the matter is, we don't know us either. (laughs) What we are now does not appear to the world, and what we shall be does not appear to us. The Bible says we only know what we can see and understand in the present age, but we cannot know what we will be like when we will be him. Have you ever thought about that? Do you ever think about, what's it going to be like to be like Jesus? The Bible says we can't know, we can't comprehend. As wonderful as eternal life is in the here and now, John tells us that it's only a dim preview of what life will be for us in the future. And all through the Bible, if you get that in your mind, you will start seeing verses you never saw before or thought of before. For instance, I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. Paul's writing to the Romans here. It says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, Paul is saying, if we really understand that we are the children of God and we believe the Bible, that God not only has had a wonderful plan for our life now, but this plan just keeps getting better and better. He says we are going to be anticipating what God is up to. In fact, Paul says the whole creation waits expectantly. And the word wait is a Greek word that means to stand up on your tiptoe. Now, John says there's one thing we can't know, but there's three things we can know. And the first thing we can know is we know he will appear. It says, but we know that when he is revealed, the Bible is full of the truth of the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you believe that Jesus came the first time, which we all do, 
You have to believe that he's coming the second time because there's way more truth in the Bible about his second coming than there ever was about his first coming. Just as surely as he appeared in Bethlehem, he will appear the second time in glory. His first appearance is the center point of all of history. It is from that appearance that we reckon time as we know it today. That's how we know he came. From that day forward, everything has been reckoned from the first appearance of the Lord. Now, if the Lord came the first time as he promised, don't you think he's going to come the second time? Look with me at Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 through 14, where both of these appearances are found in one verse. Watch this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. When did that happen? When Jesus came in the incarnation, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. There it is again, his second appearance. Now, All I want you to get from this at this point, because we could go off on a tangent here. I love to preach on the second coming of Christ. John just says, we don't know what it's going to be like up there. We don't know how this is all going to happen. But what we do know is he's coming back. (laughs) He's going to be revealed. And then he says, not only do we know that he will appear, but we know we shall be like him. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Think about that for a moment. It doesn't tell us how that's going to happen. It doesn't give us any process or formula or one, two, three steps. I'd like for you to listen to this passage of scripture as I read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message. And see if it doesn't take on a little bit of a new life of its own. Listen to this. Let me tell you something wonderful. A mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die. But we are all going to be changed. You hear a blast and all blasts from a trumpet. And in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. (laughs) On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves beyond the reach of death, never to die again. And at that same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable has got to be taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by immortality and the saying will come true. Death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? Isn't that a great thought? We're going to be like him. He's going to appear, and in a moment, we'll be changed. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, it it tries to describe the instantaneous nature of the change. It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We often think that means in the blinking of an eye, and it's not that at all. It is beyond that. It is the little sparkle of light that you sometimes see shine off of a person's eye so quickly that you couldn't measure it. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back and the trumpet sounds, we who are dead, if we have not lived until his coming, we are going to be brought up out of our graves. And on the way up immediately, our bodies will be brought back together and we will take on a body exactly like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. I'm not trying to be facetious here because there really is a point. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now the Bible says when we become Christians, a process begins that will be ultimately culminated when Jesus comes back and we are instantly changed to be like him. But our goal ought to be in the process to becoming more and more like him, transformed day by day from glory to glory as we read the word of God, as we study. And aren't you, you know, I hope everybody here can say this at least. I'm not the same person I was 
when I got saved. Hope you can say that. You may not be able to say I'm everything I wish I could be, but you have to be able to look back and say I'm not what I was. Thank God for that. Not what I wish I was, not what I should be, but thank God I'm not what I was. And so in the process of being changed, Paul and the other writers of the New Testament says we ought to constantly be moving forward toward the likeness of Jesus Christ as we see his picture in the Bible. You know, they they tell us as we get older, when we've been married to the same person for a long time, we start looking like them. I pray for my wife every day that she doesn't have to deal with that. But you know, that's an interesting truth, isn't it? The more time you spend with somebody, the more you become like that person. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could begin to spend more and more time with the Lord so that as he comes and we're changed to be like him, the likeness is already in the process. That's God's plan for the future. Now let me ask you a question. I ask you after the first point. Is that good news? Whoa. That's why I could stand at a graveside this last week. While I could grieve, I didn't sorrow without any hope. I knew that that wasn't the person that I had loved and known all the years that I'd known her. She was not there. Her shell was there. But she was with the Lord. Let me just say quickly because some of you may wonder what happens when a believer dies. Here's what happens. His body goes in the grave and his spirit, his soul goes to be with the Lord. On the resurrection morning, when the bodies come out of the grave, they're going to be reunited and then reunited with the Lord in midair, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So a person who's a Christian never dies. Their body dies, the house in which they lived. And when they see the Lord one day, that house is going to have instantaneous renovation. Now let me just add the last thing, and we're finished. God's purpose for us in the present One of the things that's very evident as you study the Bible is that wherever the Bible speaks about future things, it always adds a present responsibility. Anybody who says, I don't want to study prophecy because if you study prophecy, it's all irrelevant. It's all going to happen in the future. Well, if they say that, they've just given themselves away. They don't read the Bible. Because wherever you find the word about the future, you'll always have a word about today. Now, notice how John ties this all together in verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him. What hope? The hope of going up to be with Jesus and having your body changed to be like his. The hope of being a child of God. Everybody who has this certainty in his heart purifies himself even as he is pure. If we really believe what we've talked about today, there will be an inward motivation for us to want to be more like Jesus. Not because we have to, but because we want to, but because we love him. And we don't want to ever do anything to disappoint this one who has done so much for us. Who made us his own children so that we can enjoy the family right here and now. Who provides for us a place where we can go so that we will spend eternity with him. And he's going to change our vile bodies so that they become bodies like his. He's done all that for us. Now he just says, if you have that hope in your heart, you're going to want to purify yourself. I'm convinced more and more, men and women, as I study the Bible, that the greatest motivation to holiness is a comprehension of the love of God. We try to make people holy by threatening them, by throwing guilt at them. Let me just tell you something. You get in love with God like you should, and it'll break your heart when you break his. John says if we have this assurance of seeing Christ and becoming like him, we should be motivated to become like him now. Notice over in the second chapter of 1 John, in the sixth verse, just it says here, he who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. That's interesting, isn't it? 
And 1 John 2, 28 says, Now little children abide in him that when he appears, you will have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I don't want to stand before God and have to acknowledge he's done all this for me, died on the cross for me, made me a child in his family, changed my body to be like his, and I have to stand before him and say, Lord God, I squandered my life as a Christian, and I didn't honor you. Martha Snell Nicholson, one of the great Christian poets in history, for more than 35 years, she laid on a bed as an invalid. Yet in spite of her pain and her suffering, she wrote some of the best-loved Christian poetry of all history. Several years before her death, she wrote about her hope of the coming of the Lord, and this is what she said. The best is the blessed hope of his soon coming, how I ever lived before I grasped that wonderful truth I do not know. How anyone lives without these trying days I cannot imagine. Each morning I think with a leap of the heart, he may come today. And each evening I think when I awake I might be in glory. Each day must be lived as though it were to be my last. And there is so much to be done to purify myself and set my house in order. I am on tiptoe with expectancy. There are no more gray days, for they're all touched with color. No more dark days, for the radiance of his coming is on the horizon. No more dull days with glory just around the corner, and no more lonely days with his footstep coming ever nearer. And the thought that soon, soon I shall see his blessed face and be forever through with pain and tears. Martha Snell Nicholson wrote that from a bed of suffering, but she wrote a poem afterwards that described how she understood this last verse in 1 John. Listen to this. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes, grief, though he loves me still? He would have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace, while memory runs like a haunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with the tears I cannot shed. I shall cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. And then she penned this phrase that I hope can be all of our goal. Lord of the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me and mold me to the pattern you have planned. I love that part. Lord of the years that are left to me. You see, we can't go back and undo the years that have already been spent. But one of the great things about the Bible and about grace is that God's always willing to start with us wherever we are, no matter what we've done. He's willing to pick up the pieces of our messed up Christian life if we'll just come back and say, Lord, of the years that are left to me, I want to follow your plan. How could we do less than serve him like that? He loves us. He's made us his children. He's got a plan for us that is unbelievable. And he asks us to live for him today. I'm signing up. Amen. Amen. What an illustration of this principle that wherever you see the prophecies of the future, look around in the context and you will see applications for today. John asks, if this is true, what kind of people should we be? Knowing that one day we're going to be holy like the Father, the Lord Jesus tells us that every day we should strive to be more like him. And that brings us back to that principle we've talked about many times. 
that sanctification is just being in practice what you already are in purpose and in, in positive precept. You are perfect before God. Now live like it. That's what we're being told in 1 John. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about loving God and loving each other. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. You will understand these verses when you hear them tomorrow. You've heard them before. Uh, We will find out how we can love God whom we do not see and then not love God's children whom we see every day. That's a good question, isn't it? We'll talk about that tomorrow. Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to talk about casting out fear. And then on Friday, we begin our Christmas collection. Hey, don't forget you can get the devotional from Turning Point. Every Day with Jesus is the devotional for 2022. It's available now for a gift of any size. Be sure to ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point today. See you next time. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Living in the Light, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2022, Every Day with Jesus. It's filled with daily encouragement for 2022, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International and New King James versions with helpful notes and articles from decades of study by Dr. Jeremiah. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Living in the Light, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Back again this year, the home for Christmas Channel from David Jeremiah and Turning Point Ministries. Fill your season with all your favorite holiday traditions, music, carols, laughter, scripture, pageants, inspirational Bible teaching, and more. Start streaming your Christmas favorites and discover new ones completely free. And enjoy the home for Christmas channel at home, in the car, or anywhere you need a little Christmas. Visit turningpoint.tv to start streaming today. That's turningpoint.tv. Introducing Dr. David Jeremiah's new 365-day devotional, Every Day with Jesus. Inside this beautiful leather-soft volume, you'll find 365 daily inspirational readings from Dr. David Jeremiah, paired with selected scripture to challenge and encourage you in your walk with God. Every Day with Jesus is yours this month in appreciation for your gift of any amount in support of this program. And when you give a generous year-end gift of $120 or more, Dr. David Jeremiah will thank you with four copies of Every Day with Jesus, one to keep and three to share with others. Let this daily devotional inspire you in the coming year to live every single day with Jesus, for Jesus, and like Jesus. Request yours at davidjeremiah.ca today. That's davidjeremiah.ca. And thanks to a generous giving challenge through the end of the month, all gifts to the ministry are effectively doubled up to $200,000. A man went into the IRS and tried to pay his taxes with a smile, but they wanted cash instead. Nobody likes to pay taxes, but Jesus said we must give to the government what is theirs just as we give God what is His. The government can force us to pay taxes, but God doesn't. He allows us to choose whether to honor Him with our money or not. 
Years ago, I learned that when I honor God by giving to Him, His blessing makes me less and less concerned about taxes. God provides for all my needs as I faithfully give first to Him. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's financial principles on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.